For the past two weeks, we've been discovering what it looks like to live in love like Jesus by being with God, being with others, and being sent. And we've introduced you to the roadmap. The roadmap is a resource that contains helpful action steps and resources to do just that. In fact, if you have not yet subscribed to the roadmap, I'd encourage you to do that. Pull out your phone right now. You can take a picture of that QR code. Maybe you got a card when you walked in. Or if all that seems a little too hard, just go to your Internet Explorer or browser. You can type in cccgo.com forward slash roadmap. That's going to help you. Be on this journey with us of living and loving like Jesus. You'll get helpful updates. You can actually connect with people who are on this journey with us. Last week, we discovered that God created us to enjoy a relationship with him. And by following the example of Jesus, we can have a relationship with God that is deep and intimate, that's life-giving, that's fruit-bearing. I hope you took some time this past week to explore the Be With God section of the roadmap. I hope that you've watched all four of the videos under the Read and Study the Bible as a first step into really getting our arms around God's word and how he reveals his heart to us through it. I also hope that you signed up to read through the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts with us. It's not too late if you didn't. You can just go to that link and say yes. As you read through the Gospel of Luke, Take notice of all the ways that Jesus pursues a relationship with God, his Father. I also hope that you'll take notice of all the ways that Jesus pursues a relationship with people. After creating the world in the first human, a man named Adam, God made a commentary about how life works when he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And all the women said, amen. I hear you back there. That's right. My wife doesn't send me to Walmart by myself, right? Here's what I think is also true. If God would have created the woman first, he would have said the exact same thing. What God was saying about mankind and humankind is this, that God created us to have relationship with him, but also to live in relationship with others. What God established in the Garden of Eden between man and woman was intentional. In fact, it's a reflection of God's character who exists in community. We believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all three persons in the one Godhead. We refer to that concept as the Trinity. We see in the opening pages of Scripture in the, in the creation account that God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We were created in the image of God and designed for living in community with others from the very start. And it didn't stop with Adam and Eve. God told them, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth. And they did. They had three sons, Abel, Cain, and Seth. And the Bible says that God gave them wives. It doesn't say how, but they continued to be fruitful, multiply, and they populated the earth with people. Pastor and scholar in his own mind, Todd Bussey, he makes a commentary about the Old Testament. He said this, that what God's doing in the Old Testament is not giving us a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of blood splattering and all that stuff. What God is telling us and teaching us in the Old Testament is how to do life with each other how to live in community, how to establish a civilization and a society, but how to relate to God and how to relate to each other. As you may know by now, 
We're attempting to take our cues from Jesus and how he lived and how he loved, how he was with God, but also how he did life with others. Jesus was a people person. I'm not projecting on Jesus' extrovertedness, but I am noticing that as you read through the gospels, you can see that Jesus initiated, he nurtured, he even cherished relationship with others. I made a list of, of how Jesus interacted with others. And the first thing I see about Jesus is that he worshiped with God's people. Luke 4 verse 16 says, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Jesus prioritized and was committed to worshiping with others. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, our country's church attendance was in a steep decline and months of social distancing and lack of in-person worship gatherings have kind of put gas on that fire. You see, the trend in our country is that a person would show up maybe once every six weeks and consider themselves an active churchgoer. Let me just be blunt and shoot straight at you. I don't think that represents the custom of Jesus. Not that attending church makes you a Christian, but if you wanna be like Jesus, worshiping with God's people should help you do that. If it isn't or if it doesn't, something is wrong. If you're not consistently connecting and engaging with others in worship, you're missing out on the life that God designed for you. We highly prioritize and value in-person worship services. We also offer an online opportunity for people who are unable or maybe just not ready to engage in person, the opportunity to connect with others. And even online, they can say hi in the chat, they can pray for each other, they can start to nurture relationship. It happens even better in person, we believe. God created us for doing life with others and Jesus worshiped with others. These people he's worshiping with are people who had known Jesus since he was this tall. They were people that Jesus had known all of his life. And if you continue reading through Luke 4, you'll see that Jesus stood up that day and he made a powerful declaration about his identity and his mission. And how did his closest friends respond? What well, says that they drug him out of church that day. They took him to a cliff on the edge of town and tried to push him over the ledge. That's how they responded to his identity and his mission. If anyone at that point could have said, I'm kind of done with God's people. They've disappointed me. They've hurt me. They've frustrated me and just kind of draw a line and done life on their own. Jesus would have been a great candidate for that. But regardless of how they treated him, that didn't keep Jesus from gathering with others to worship. In fact, it says that instead of pushing him over a ledge, he walked right through the crowd and he traveled to Capernaum. We're on the next Sabbath he went to the synagogue. Keep reading through Luke, you'll see two to three other times that says on the Sabbath day, Jesus went to the synagogue. Jesus is a great example to follow and how he did life with others was first by worshiping with God's people. Also, Jesus did life with friends. Luke, as well as the other accounts of Jesus' life here on earth, record Jesus inviting people to be his followers. He was inviting them to do life with him. Customary to rabbis in the first century, they would not pass their knowledge on by just standing up and lecturing. They would invite people to walk with them, to eat with them, to sleep with them, to do life with them. They were learning how he lived and they were learning how to emulate his way of life. 
People left everything in their life to follow Jesus. You could say that Jesus left everything in his life to come and be with them, to be with us. We think of those followers as disciples, but I look at them as friends. They're people who hung out with Jesus. They laughed together. He made nicknames for them. They teased each other. They had a good time doing life with each other. Now, there were certain times where Jesus would withdraw from everybody and spend time in solitude with his heavenly father, but he consistently surrounded himself with others. It's a healthy combo. It's a great pattern to follow. He had lots of followers. He had a group of 12 people he spent a lot more time with. He had three close friends that he took on really special experiences. And I would say you could say Jesus had one best friend named John, though Peter might argue that point, right? I don't think any of those relationships were one-sided. Jesus was fully open and vulnerable to even his closest friends. And it tells us that if anyone could have been independent, well-adjusted, successful solo act, it would be Jesus. But living in community was in Jesus' DNA, and it's in ours too, because we are created in the image of God, which means we were created to do life with others. When you and I decide to follow Jesus, we're united with God but we're also united with others. We belong to God, we belong to others. We have communion with God and community with each other. Neither the relationship that's nurtured with God or with other people is optional. Pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called Life Together. It's an inspiring account of a unique relationship that existed between followers of Jesus who lived in an underground seminary during the Nazi period of Germany. And he writes these words. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it's a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship over years, Christian community is this. We belong to one another through and in Jesus Christ. Simply put, we need Jesus and we need each other. One of the best things about my job is interacting with people. I love people. And spending time with people is often meaningful and very fulfilling. I love how God's designed all of us for community. That we're not just friends. Actually, in in Christ, we are brothers and sisters, part of the same family. We need each other. And while I love many aspects of my job, like leading and teaching and pouring into staff and, and leaders, my favorite place to be on a Sunday is probably not behind this pulpit. It's actually out in the atrium interacting with all of you, where I can listen to you instead of you having to sit and listen to me for 30 or 40 or more minutes, right? It's, it's dialoguing with you about what God's doing in your life, how you and I can do life together, how we can do ministry together. I want every person who calls Crossroads home to experience community here. And if that's gonna happen, it's gonna take all of us, not just one person like me out in the atrium. So I wanna challenge all of us to not just be friendly, but to offer hospitality, to genuinely care for every person that we lock eyes with. Start with those who are worshiping with you each and every Sunday. Take the initiative to say hello. Introduce yourself to someone that you've never met. Be humble enough to say to a person you have met maybe a hundred times, can you remind me of your name? 
Truly listen when you ask a person, how are you? And they respond. And be prompted by the Holy Spirit, whether it's in that moment right there or later, to lift that person up in prayer. Let that train you how to be with others within these walls so that when you're at work or at school, when you're in your neighborhood or with your family, you'll be more like Jesus in being with others. Jesus worshiped with God's people. He hung out with friends and did life with them. But I also think we see Jesus caring for the hurting, the rejected, and the lost. Continue reading through uh, the book of Luke, and you'll see that Jesus lived and loved in a very deliberate way, especially toward those who were hurting, those who were outcast, those who needed spiritual direction. Jesus noticed people. They were never a bother or an interruption. He healed people like the lame, the blind, the paralyzed. He even raised the dead because he cared for people. Jesus offered dignity to people, the leper, the Gentile, the tax collector, the woman, the child, those that people in the society had either dismissed or devalued, found value and acceptance with Jesus. And Jesus offered grace to the sinful. A woman caught in adultery, a demon-possessed person. Jesus washed Judas's feet, who was ready to stab him in the back. He reinstated Peter and said from the cross, God, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The rest of the Old or the New Testament is filled with teaching about how to emulate Jesus in the way that he lived and the way that he loved, especially how he was with others. The Greek word that's translated one another appears over 100 times in the New Testament. And 50 of those 100 times are direct commands teaching us how to love one another, how to treat one another, how to do life with each other just in the way that Jesus did. I'm not gonna walk through all 50 of those today, but we have provided you a list of all those on our website, cccgo.com forward slash info. You can download a, a, a PDF of all the one another passages that I'm referring to in the New Testament. Instead of walking through those with you all today, we wanna give you some practical steps and some resources that you and I can take advantage of in living and loving like Jesus by being with others. Last weekend, Jeremy Locke, who helped create the Be With God portion of our roadmap, walked us through that section. And today, I'm gonna to ask Aslan Carter, who helped develop the Be With Others portion of the roadmap, to come and walk us through this section. So would you welcome her right now? Go for it, friend. Well, it has been an honor to be working on this roadmap for the last several months. And I, I feel like I should probably confess that I don't necessarily feel like an expert on the topic of being with others. I mean, I'm not particularly well read on the topic and I've certainly never done a deep dive into the meaning of the Greek word for community. But what I do have is a lifetime of firsthand experiences that have taught me personally the importance of being with others. If you know me, you would probably guess that I'm an extrovert and you would be right. From the time that I was really little, being with others has filled me and fueled me. On the contrary, spending too much time alone has really caused me to be, um, well, grouchy and moody. Just ask my family. I hear my brother laughing at me. 
And there was a while that, um, there was a long time actually in my growing up years where I felt guilty about that. I thought that being with God should be enough and that I shouldn't need to be with others in order to feel emotionally healthy. And I specifically remember coming across the verse in Genesis that Phil referred to earlier where God says, it is not good for man to be alone. And in that moment, I recognized that God had created Adam with a hard wiring for community and that God had created every one of us who have lived ever since with that same design. And so rather than feeling guilty about my need for being with other people, I could lean into that and I could celebrate that. If you open up the roadmap to the being with others section, and I would encourage you to go ahead and do that, you'll notice the tagline, transformation happens best in community. That's the foundation for everything that you will find within this section of the roadmap. Because we truly believe that the best environment for growing, the best context for learning to live and love like Jesus is the context of community. For this reason, you'll find elements of being with others, not only within this section of the roadmap, but also sprinkled throughout the other sections. As you are learning to be with God and you are learning to be sent, you will want others walking along beside you. We truly believe that every experience represented on the roadmap will be enhanced within the context of community. So within this be with God, excuse me, be with others section of the roadmap, you'll find three distinct pathways. They are gather with others, find support, invite accountability and grow together, and multiply your influence. Now, as Jeremy mentioned last week, these are by no means an exhaustive look at what it means to be with others, but they do get us pointed in the right direction. So let's start by taking a quick look at that first pathway, gather with others. A little earlier, we read Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 together. And if you'll notice, kind of sandwiched in the middle of those verses is this command to gather with others, to not give up meeting together. But what we see on either side of that command is two other commands, to spur one another on toward love and good needs, to encourage one another. And I don't know about you, but I need that reminder often that gathering with others is really not first and foremost about me. It requires me to kind of step out of my personal bubble. It requires me to put the needs of others ahead of my own. And for this reason, you will see um, quite a few encouragements within this pathway to engage in our weekend worship services. Now, that word engage just means to do or to um, be a part of something. So your first step of engagement may be something as simple as stopping by the Connection Center at the end of service or taking part in that online chat. Introduce yourself to someone. Let someone know that you are here. Your next step may be attending our starting point conversation or a membership class, or your next step may be taking Phil's challenge that he issued earlier and getting to know the people sitting around you, finding out a little bit more about them and about their lives, encouraging them, spurring them on toward love and good deeds. Given all that we've been through recently with the COVID-19 pandemic, I don't think that any of us take for granted the opportunity to gather in person. 
So let's not waste this precious gift that we've been given. And as we gather together, let's encourage one another and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The next pathway I want to highlight is that second one, find support, invite accountability, and grow together. And we're going to take just a little bit of time to camp out here. In case you haven't noticed, Crossroads is a large church. It's quite possible on any given weekend to walk into and out of this building and not interact with anybody in a meaningful way. Now, some of you I know are very um, frustrated by that. Others of you might actually like the anonymity. But my point is this. It's quite possible to sit in this room of several hundred people and yet not experience true Christian community. And that's why our first step, the place where we would encourage you to get started, is to join a group. So what's a group? Well, really simply, a group is just a small gathering of people intentionally pursuing how to live and love like Jesus. It's a group of people who together are learning to be with God, be with others, and to be sent. Healthy groups include a couple different things, the study of scripture, obedience to God's word, prayer, caring for one another within the group, but also reaching out and loving and caring for those outside of the group. Why are groups important? Well, as our youth here at Crossroads like to say, groups are where we grow. What's difficult in a gathering of several hundred people is possible in a gathering of just several. We can know others and be known ourselves. We can really care for one another and walk alongside one another through life's ups and downs. We can explore scripture in a deeper way and talk about how it applies personally to our lives. My husband, Dan, and I have been part of a small group for 16 years here at Crossroads. And while different members of that group um, have come and gone, that group itself has been a lifeline to us. When we walked through an infertility journey several years ago, God graciously put a couple other people in that group who had walked that journey either ahead of us or were walking it alongside us. When we started the adoption process, God graciously gave us another couple who were just a few months ahead of us. And not just those couples, but everybody who was in that group loved us, cared for us, supported us, prayed for us during what was a really difficult season in our lives. Our groups also walked through health issues. We've walked through the loss of parents, the loss of spouses. We've been through several moves together. And I'm just gonna tell you that you don't need a moving company if you have a small group. It's one of the benefits, I assure you. We've celebrated births, adoptions, new jobs, and goals achieved. So if you're not already part of a small group, we wanna encourage you to do that, to take your first step. And we're gonna call you, or we're gonna help you, excuse me. We're calling today Groups Sunday. Out in our atrium, we have information about a number of different types of groups that we offer here at Crossroads. We have small groups, women's and men's groups, support groups, youth groups, and more. Now, the nuances of these groups may be different, but at their core, every group is pursuing that vision of living and loving like Jesus. Every group is growing together. Our missional living team is working on a couple new types of groups, and they would love to gauge your interest today. So I wanna mention these real quickly. The first type of group has to do with what you do as your vocation, your work, whether paid or unpaid, from nine to five. 
Whether you're an electrician, an artist, a stay-at-home mom, a CEO, what would it look like to explore God's greater design, his grander vision for our work within the context of a community where other people are doing similar things? The second type of group has to do with our neighborhoods. In this type of group, we're gonna explore what it would look like for people who live nearby to come together and to intentionally love and care for others in their neighborhoods. We wanna encourage you to spend some time in the atrium before you leave today. Check out the different kinds of groups, talk to representatives from those groups and find one that may be right for you. If you're not able to stick around today or you're worshiping with us online, we wanna encourage you to go to cccgo.com forward slash info and you can explore the same group options there. Before we go on to the final pathway, I just wanna mention a couple realities about groups. First, groups are made up of people and people, if you hadn't noticed, are broken and difficult at times. Relationships can be messy and challenging, even relationships with other believers. So why bother? Author Paul David Tripp says this, we forget that God's primary goal is not changing our situations or relationships so that we can be happy, but changing us through our situations and relationships so that we will be holy. Remember that God's design for each of us is that we would be transformed into the likeness of his son, Jesus. And as we've said before, that happens best in community. Now, as we rub shoulders with other people, we may be wounded by their sharp and rough edges, but likewise, they may be wounded by ours. Yet in each of these experiences that we have with other people, we have the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel by showing love and grace. The second reality of groups that I want to acknowledge is that they do require openness and vulnerability. If we truly want to grow, then we've got to be willing to kind of let our guard down and allow others in to see those messy and broken parts of us. We've got to give others permission to speak openly and honestly about our faith journey. Now, I recognize that this requires courage, and it may take time to kind of build those trusting relationships within your group, but it's worth it, and it's something that we should strive for. That final pathway in the being with others portion of the roadmap is multiply your influence. And in this section, we just want to encourage you to intentionally invest in the lives of those around you. Who are the people that you come into contact with on a daily basis? Maybe it's those living underneath your roof, your neighbors, your coworkers, a barista, someone at the gym. We see in the life of Jesus that his relational antenna were always up. He was always looking for opportunities to pour into the lives of others and to multiply his influence. And as his followers, we simply want to do the same. So we encourage you to begin thinking about who those people are in your lives that you can pour into. You can multiply your influence by investing in them. When I think about my own life, I am overwhelmed by the number of different people throughout my life who have intentionally invested in me. And I know that I would not be who I am today if it weren't for the combined and collective influence of those individuals. I'm so thankful that they took time, that they continue to take time today to intentionally invest in me. And now I see it as an honor and a privilege as well as a responsibility to pour into the lives of others. 
As I wrap up, I just wanna give a quick word to our introverts in the audience today. I'm not sure how all of this strikes you. One author that I read, a self-proclaimed introvert, said this very honestly. I dread our weekly small group meeting all day, every week. I am always thankful for our group after the meeting, but the thought of getting my energy level up for it every week wears me out. Ironically, he's a small groups pastor. So again, I don't know how this makes you feel, but I do know that God has created you for community. In a study about the um, connection between uh, connection and happiness, researchers found that people are actually happier when they're with other people than when they are alone. And the boost is the same for introverts and extroverts. So introverts, I just wanna encourage you to do what you need to do in order to make being with others a reality. Maybe that's some intentional time to yourself before and after you spend time with others. The reality in how God wired you is that you may need time to kind of gear up and then wind down again, and that's okay. But don't miss out on the beautiful gift of community that God has given us. We're gonna give it back to Phil and let him wrap it up. Thanks for him. So in January of 2010, my accountability partner signed me up for a mini marathon. I had no earthly idea what a marathon was or a mini marathon, and I laughed out loud when he told me that a mini marathon was 13.1 mile race. And when he said that it would be fun, I said to my friend Mark, run and fun might rhyme, but they do not belong in the same sentence, right? The next morning, I found myself tying up my tennis shoes, downloading a Couch to 5K app my wife had told me about, and running for what I thought was like miles for about 10 minutes, and I thought I would die, right? About a week later, my friend Mark and I met at a local park, and we went out for a run outside together for the first time, and again, I ran for what I thought would have been miles, and we passed this little stick that read half mile. Uh, I thought it's gonna be a long way to 13.1. Well, we kept training and in May of 2010, Mark and I completed the mini marathon in Indianapolis, Indiana. And the big question was, if I could get out of bed the next morning, would I ever run again? Well, I did. In fact, I ran the whole next year and in 2011, I completed a second mini marathon. And let me just say, there's nothing many about 13.1 mile run, okay? Nothing many about that. Well, fast forward to 2015, the church where I was serving at the time was partnering with an organization called World Vision, and World Vision's known for their child sponsorship around the world, and they were doing some long-distance running events to raise awareness and funds to uh, just promote World Vision, and the person who came to promote that to our congregation that day made a statement that really stopped me in my tracks. He said, if currently you can run three miles comfortably, you should commit to running the marathon in November in downtown Indy. And I thought to myself, there's a long way between my three comfortable miles and 26.2 miles, right? I can only say that I really truly believe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me that that day I left with a 16 week training regiment to participate in the Monumental Marathon. And in 2015, November, I completed the Monumental Marathon. It was, well, thank you. It was during that race that I really understood the power of community, maybe like never before. 
That day, the, there was a half marathon and a full marathon, and they were running the same course for the first four or five miles. And I was surrounded by literally hundreds, if not a couple thousand people running that day. But it wasn't until mile two or three that I ran into a familiar face. That face was Jack Arney. He was my boss when I served here at Crossroads as a youth pastor. We'd remain friends. He's here even today. Um, I ran into Jack and he was running the half marathon that day. We chatted for a little bit and then he wished me well. He turned left to head back into downtown and I kept running for quite a long distance later. You know, it was my first marathon. I thought I was doing fairly decent. I made it to 13.1, the halfway mark, at about two hours. And I'd set a personal goal for there to be a four hour in my finish time. And when I finished that day, it was four hours and 56 minutes. I made it by the skin of my teeth. You know, I was running pretty well. I got to mile 21 and I hit that wall that all runners hit somewhere along the way. And I, at that point thought, I don't know that I can go much further. And so about mile 22, I decided to start walking a little bit. I just thought, I just gotta keep moving in the right direction, but I didn't feel like running and I really felt like just quitting. And so I just walked a little bit, walked a lot more, ran here and there. And I made my way to this big sign that read 25 miles. There was a clock beneath it. And I knew at that point I had 1.2 miles left. And again, I was pretty much ready to quit. As I made my way closer to that 25 mile marker, I noticed there was somebody just kind of leaning up against the pole that held that sign up. And as I got closer, I recognized that face. It was actually Jack Arney. He had finished his 13.1 miles well earlier that day. And he just stuck around to see how I would do, I think really to see if I'd ever finish. And um, he said to me, hey, buddy, how's it going? And I said, Jack, I, it's awful. Like I, I hurt everywhere. I don't think I can keep this up. And he says, you're only one mile away. You can do this. And then he said, I'm gonna run the rest of the race with you. And he did. For the last 1.2 miles of that race, I ran on the course of the Monumental Marathon and over on the sidewalk, making every step along the way with me was Jack Arney, cheering me along the whole way. I got to that 26 mile point and there's two tenths of a mile to go and there's a couple hundred people cheering at this point. My family was waiting for me at the finish line and, and Jack kind of just blended into the crowd in that moment. My friends, I want you to know today that following Jesus is much more like a marathon than a sprint. It's not the easiest thing you could ever attempt to do. In fact, there's gonna be times along the way where you feel like you may don't wanna go on any further. There's gonna be times where you fall down and you feel hurt and you don't really know if you wanna get back up. There's gonna be times you feel like quit. And I just wanna encourage you First of all, you're not alone in this race. Jesus, scripture tells us, has run the race and he's actually finished it. And he knows how to do it. And he's promised to show us how to run the same race. And also, you're not alone. There are literally hundreds, thousands, if not millions of people who've made the same decision that you might make. I wanna follow Jesus. And they continue to put one foot in front of the other. Not perfect, but committed to finishing the race. And so I hope as you walk through the roadmap with us, you'll have direction about what it looks like to live in love like Jesus. And you'll feel encouraged along the way because you're not the only one who's walking this path. And I hope, also hope 
as you follow Jesus, that you'll be an encouragement to the person on your left or on your right as we all keep following Jesus and finish the race that he's marked out for us. Would you pray with me? God, I am so grateful that you have called us to follow you, to live in a relationship with you, to have this life abundance that you've called us to, Lord. And just as I read this morning in Luke, if we love anything else more than you, we're, we're probably not going to truly experience this life that you have created for us. God, I'm so grateful that you haven't just pushed us out and made us figure it out on our own. You've given us Jesus as a great example to follow as well. You have provided people along the path to cheer us on. God, that we're walking this path, path with you, with Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, that brings me so much encouragement. And I pray, Lord, that we would also be an encouragement to others. My prayer, Lord, today is that if anybody hasn't really ever discovered what it feels like to be loved by you, that today they would hear your sweet, tender voice calling them that you want to be their father. You want to walk with them. You want to give them this life to the fullest that we read about and see Jesus experiencing. And God, I also pray that if there's somebody here today who came by themselves, or maybe they're surrounded by people on their left or right, but they feel so isolated and alone, that God, that that would end today. God, this place would be a place where people feel your love in very tangible ways. And that would be an expression of the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus loved. And it'd be all for your glory, God, we pray through Christ. Amen.